0: Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 310 and I spoke with John Lefave. He is a Canadian musician, composer, entrepreneur, retired lawyer, philanthropist, climate activist, and an author, including All's Well, Where Thou Art, Earth, and Why, which is a work of political, moral, and legal philosophy, as well as a memoir that was actually penned by Kerry Gold entitled, Good With Money, A Rich Guy's Guide to Gaining Everything by Losing It All. John co-founded a billion-dollar company and ended up losing it all when the feds came in to seize the company. And he was brought up on several charges, and only one stuck and he served 45 days in prison. He went from being quite wealthy, like half a billion wealthy to nearly losing it all. I can't imagine what it's like to have half a billion dollars and then lose nearly all of it in basically overnight. So it's a a interesting conversation for sure. Okay. Usual stuff, Hey Human Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Social media personally for me is Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. And that's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. If you go to HeyHumanPodcast.com, you'll find a links page. Every guest gets their own pile of links to make it easier for you to find the things we talk about. So definitely go check that out. On there, you'll also find the store front on that heyhumanpodcast.com, and you can get t-shirts or hats or artwork, uh, tote bags, that kind of thing. Check that out. It's a great way to help support Hey Human. For those of you that want to go back and listen to old episodes and you're on something like an iTunes, they only show 300 episodes at a time, but if you go to heyhumanpodcast.com, you're going to find every episode that has ever been done and... Uh, I don't know why the algorithm on Apple only shows you 300 at a time, but now that I'm up to 310 episodes, uh, if you want to go deep diving, I believe you have to go to the website to do that. Because I, I don't know, and I haven't checked, I am apologize for not looking, but I think when you go down the iTunes scroll of podcasts available, unless you're on your computer browser, if you're on your phone, I don't think it shows um, everything. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Rate and review Hey Human and subscribe on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps a lot. Hey Human is an ad-free podcast. If you'd like to contribute and help keep her going, you can do that on the contribute button there on the website as well. Uh, My YouTube channel is Official Susan Ruth. Please subscribe to that. Go to susanruth.com if you'd like to learn more about me, like my art and my music, if you want to hear interviews with me that other people have done where I'm the interviewee. And I think that's about it for the usual stuff. Let's get into the show. Thank you for listening. Be kind. Take care of each other. Be well. I appreciate you. And let's get into this. Here we go. John Lefebvre, welcome to Hey Human.
1: I'm very pleased to be here. Thanks for having me, Susan. <laughs> we're on.
0: <laughs> we're and we're live. No, we're not live. We're not live. We're not dead.
1: Uh, live to tape.
0: Live to tape. That's exactly right. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. And you are in Canada, eh?
1: Yeah, on an island west from Vancouver, west, south, and west from Vancouver, about fifty miles out in the ocean.
0: Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. We're
1: we're we're the most southerly pointed point in Canada, I think. We're we're about forty miles below the forty ninth parallel, so. We're kind of like Canada's, you know, Hawaii.
0: I was going to ask, is it banana belty?
1: Yeah, it's pretty nice. We have, uh, you know, snow maybe twice a year. It's a lot like Seattle. Yeah, well. Maybe may a bit more sunny.
0: Yeah, I was going to say Seattle's not super sunny, but. Yeah, I'm we have a little bit of a, I
1: There's just to co- say we're, we're in oh. a little bit of a, of a rain shadow here. We have about 40% less uh, rain than Vancouver does. So,
0: oh, it's a, there you go. Yeah. I've spent Although a lot. Although this time year's different. It. Oh, climate. So, yeah, yeah, climates.
1: Climates moving around a little bit.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that as well. Well, let's uh, let's dig into you. Did you? You grew up in Canada?
1: If I, if I did at all, I am seventy. I think I'm going to be grown up by the time I'm about seventy five.
0: Did you grow up in a big family, small family?
1: No, no. I was a small family, uh, and uh, we were missing our dad. Uh, my dad died when I was three. My sister was five, and my little brother was one. He was a soldier and, uh, he was, uh, he died in an automobile mishap in a blizzard in Ontario. Oh. And, uh, my mom moved back to Calgary and raised us on her own. Um, she, he, he was a beautiful guy. Well, he's, uh, everybody, you know, everybody who knew him just talks about how engaging and funny he was, but, um, my mom brought us back to Calgary and we were raised, uh, Pretty much in the catholic tradition i've repented myself of most of that but um I've, I've brought along what i think to be the the valuable parts of it and there there are many of them uh, they introduced me to this guy i don't think they had him quite right but um he was a very interest very very important guy to get in jesus of nazareth they call him now i think but um his problem in the church i think is that you know uh he's been in the hands of popes for too long, for too long Mm-hmm. But there's ways of getting to the real guy, and I think it's a worth it. He's a very stone motherfucker.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the things that Jesus believed in uh, was the real deal. Yeah, you know? quite the. We were deal. my, my yeah. mom.
1: My mom had um, there's lots of company around. I think the priests in Calgary recognized that my mom was always good for a scotch. <laughs> and we, we had, um, they, they were coming around and, and lots of people who thought on that sort of level, spiritual theology, they were quite, they were quite kind of, I don't want to say left wing, but progressive Catholics, you know, that we but uh, John, Pope John the 23rd Catholics, there was a time when, um, you know, uh, I, mean, I I don't want to hijack the conversation here, but I'm just going to say quickly. John Twenty Third has been rebuked by so many of the popes since, but one of the things he said was, in every case of conscience, every case, our conscience, honestly consulted, is the final arbiter of right and wrong. And that's a very out there thing for a Catholic pope to say. You don't hear stuff like that anymore. And that's why, you know, whole college courses have gone to um, uh, theologically dismissing john the 23rd well, I mean, that, a lot that, of people
0: don't want to look at their own conscience right because it's marred <laughs> and and sullied and their own interests tend to usurp the the greater good
1: including the church 100 ah,
0: percent. I, I think that's true yeah
1: <laughs> my mom uh introduced us to you know pete Seeger and uh um you know uh great piano players, opera singers, lots of Broadway musicals. So I, I got a really good dose of music when I was a kid. My sister and I, you know, sang all the Peter, Paul and Mary songs. And, you know, and, all, and that that grew into, you know, uh, Graham Parsons and Emmy Harris songs and that kind of thing. And so, you know, I that we were kind of like campfire. So that was a big part of my youth, um, the three of us, my brother and Ted, um, had an excellent, an excellent life for, you know, for kids raised in a misshapen family.
0: <laughs> did you have a sense that it was misshapen or did you feel like it was well, It was, was what it was? Uh,
1: yeah, I did. You know, we had the uh, father and son altar boy breakfasts and, and I, you know, so, somebody else's dad always invited me along, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or my, gran- my grandfather would, you know, so... You know, I some of those social things that we had. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit like a handicap. We uh, didn't think of them so much when we were kids. Now, now people are more considerate. You know, for the you know those um, non traditional families.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you had the theological influence of people were coming over and having those discussions. Did you, as a kid, go up with an understanding of? God for yourself, or was it based on everybody around you? Did you do you know some kids take what they're listening to and they make their own story of it that suits them? Mm-hmm. Were you more towing the line? I
1: tried the towing the line thing. It worked until I was, I'll, I'll say, adolescent, <laughs> and then after that, I was starting to see sure if they really had that good of a handle on right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I knew that there was some wonderful teaching there and a very very uh, profound. Um, understand well not understanding but a thesis anyways about love and um uh and it was you know by the time I was 17 I was uh, you know dropping acid and listened to you know what Jimi Hendrix and Neil Young had to say about love and um so, and, and the reason I bring it up at all, Susan, is really is because that that youthful exposure I had to theology and this concept of like eternity and infinity and somebody up there, some all powerful thing, loves us all. You know, we we're we we're primed for that, and it turns out to be the truth. But it's just the image of it that um, that the Catholics have embraced and kind of uh, solidified into a uh, I call it a I don't know a dogma or whatever is. Um, very kind of uh, uh soulless really you know uh, you know some some people within that institution are the most beautiful human beings i've ever met in spite of the institution right sure. you think of a guy like saint francis who's famous for talking to birds right and you know you, you, we you, you, don't, you we don't we don't we don't you don't have to we, we know now in our free society that we don't have to submit to all the rules Right. We just yeah, you know, so but I was um so by the time I was, you know, by like twelve or fourteen, I was pretty much done with it. Mm-hmm. Right. But um I I as I as I grew you know, and you reject everything, right? It just kinda like <laughs> like that, sure. But as, as I grew, um, I, I came to realize that actually um, some of the most wonderful things that I was ever taught were taught to me by hypocrites, but they were still wonderful things.
0: <laughs> yeah. well, I would say, too, kneeling at the altar of LSD and listening to the prophet Jimi Hendrix would also open your mind quite a lot.
1: Yeah, quite op- op- open it all the way. <laughs> yeah, I took a lot of
0: LSD in high school and I freaking loved it. And I, I think it. It opens, and it, I'm not advocating it for, you know, everyone, but it certainly, for me, opened up a whole other, other.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, um, it knocks us upstairs.
0: <laughs> yeah. I right? love that. That's yeah. a great way to put it.
1: I like the way Neil Young mentioned it in there. There's a song called um, Thrashers, I think. He it, it said, um, it's, when, it's when the thrashers are coming. I think it's like the end of life, right? but his his reference was um, when the aimless blade of science slashed the pearly gates. And so all of a sudden we were just kind of bombed into, you know, the the light, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and then we feel, you know, I think what we discover is, is, you tell me if you think this is close, but what we discover is when we go deep enough inside ourselves, we uh, see what we are all made of and sometimes i say stuff like um you know uh people try to call it god but to me that implies another some other right so in that respect misses it
0: it's not outside of ourselves yeah yeah, yeah.
1: mary magdalene we got it you know mary was his partner i think they hung out all the time right yeah they, sure. they i think they learned from each other lots
0: yeah they were ride or die for sure
1: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah no it was great i I had a i was a very very privileged childhood but normal you know my mom my mom was a widow and uh had a a, an army pension i think she got like 90 dollars a month or something in 1955 and that and that grew but one of the things she also got out of it was free university education for her and for her kids uh and um but you know when we start talking about privilege today and i think we might um, I, I became, you know, infinitely more privileged than just about everybody else on the planet. Uh, and, but still, uh, it's very important for us in our society to recognize that, you know, any for sure anybody who's listening to this show is like infinitely more privileged than eighty percent of the world, and that has some implications that I think are very fascinating, very compelling.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's part of that's what part of what my gig is now is trying to help us in these affluent societies, uh, understand, um, first what a blessing it is to be one of the universe's vessels of consciousness, but also what the duties that come with that, the duties that come with freedom.
0: What'd you go to school for in college? I wound up being
1: a lawyer. You know, I, I went, I went to school because, you know, I got knocked up. (laughs) That's what I went to school for. But, um, the, um, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't have much math, you know, I wasn't very, uh, attentive at high school <laughs> in terms of attendance, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, um, and I, and I didn't have much science, so I couldn't be a doctor, so all I could do is read, so what do you got left? You got to be a lawyer pretty much, right? You know, a small kind of storefront practice for, for most of my career, and, uh, that was lovely. I, uh, I, I didn't really... Practicing law didn't really massage my soul much. Lots of people I know got really great careers of it and and still have them. Um, But uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, I I didn't find one. (laughs) The only thing that I loved about the practice of law that I had was the the visiting with people. It Mm -hmm. was super rewarding and, Mm -hmm. you know, helping them with problems. I enjoyed literature and philosophy a lot more than I enjoyed law.
0: Why didn't you become a teacher?
1: It's a good question. You know, I, 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 I don't, I, you have these ego trips, right? You think, you know, I'm, I could be a lawyer, you know, or something. I don't know what it is, you know, but I was, I think, I think I was caught up in that sort of thing a little bit. I, um, I, you know, I wouldn't be a teacher. I would be a professor, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, and life, life was good to me anyways, even though I was, you know, um, so deluded by those sorts of things.
0: Well, and law pays better for sure.
1: Oops. I never made a lot of money at it at law, but I made a lot of money at something.
0: <laughs> yes, let's get into that. What? Uh, how did those opportunities present themselves?
1: Well, when I was a lawyer, um, a, a fellow wandered into the office once. Um, my partner Jane um, uh, was uh, introduced to him because he needed some legal help. But Jane was doing like family law and estate law, and I was the you know partner that was doing uh you know the real estate and the financing and that kind of thing and so steve came to me steve lawrence and i helped him with a um, you know some uh, small time real estate development stuff he came upon this idea among other things built you know a car wash in a strip mall and he sold everything except the car wash why because it was cash It, it availed him of what he called the small business deduction you know okay. you, you can evade taxes by- <laughs> anyways steve was working in the car wash one day and he had this young guy jeff 16 year old guy who was uh, you know put the soap in the machines and taken out the the coins and uh steve said to him he, jeff was interested this is about maybe 98 or so 97 98 steve knew that jeff was interested in this new thing called the internet and he said, did you know that, you know, did you know you could gamble on the internet? And Jeff said, yeah, I was gambling on the internet last night. Well, were you? How did you pay for it? Well, with my dad's credit card. <laughs> <laughs> and then so Steve went, you know, carried it on a little bit and said, well, do you think, you know, do you think you could program a roulette game? Or do you think you could program a blackjack?" He says, I don't know why not. I could program anything. So they did. Jeff and uh, Steve and this 16-year-old kid programmed, uh, you know, an online uh, casino and ran it it was called gambleusa.com talk about sticking your finger in uncle sam's eye but and they did that for a while
0: out of canada yeah so was it not illegal because it was illegal at the time was it not
1: um it was arguable okay (laughs) but yeah there's there's, it's it's kind of a nuanced thing you know it was it's illegal if the servers were in canada but maybe it wasn't if they were you know where does a contract exist you know about contract uh, conflicts of laws have you ever heard of that It's where, you know, if there's, if a transaction happens in two jurisdictions, which the laws of which jurisdiction rule, right? And the rule is that the contract exists in where offer and consideration, everybody knows that to make a contract, you have an offer, acceptance, and consideration. Consideration is like the deposit, when you pay the deposit. And where the deposit lands is supposed to be the jurisdiction, right? So if I get online and make a bet, Over a computer in Antigua, arguably that contract is an Antiguan contract and beyond the jurisdiction of the Canadian courts. That particular point hasn't been tried yet, but that was the basis upon which we were proceeding. That's why Um, so many
0: contracts say, and if this comes to litigation, the state or place of litigation shall be blah. That's It's usually written in, at least these days.
1: Sure. And lawyers try to cover all those things off. Sometimes those things work and sometimes they don't, depends <laughs> on what the judge says. One of the things he did, they went to Costa Rica, and one of the things, they met some people down there that were in the in the racket. And uh, one of the things they did was set up, uh, you know, rather than using credit cards, uh, Western Union, to use Western Union quick collect transfers, and they set up that. And all of a sudden, the credit cards got um, shut down because there was all this fraudulent use of them in credit cards. And... And that you know the bookies were scared because they were um, they were losing 16 percent to bad credit card debt you know and 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 their margin you know their their vig the juice was only like three percent so <laughs> it's hard to make money when you you make three but you lose fifteen so um, and Steve brought in this Western Union thing which made it a little bit more secure anyways the credit cards the companies got got mad at online gaming and then all of these bookies in costa rica were coming to steve and saying can we use your western union count can you transfer money you know who transfer money you can take a cut and then steve and jeff decided you know if somebody brought some professionalism responsibility reliability uh to the online money transfer portion of online gaming that might make a good little business model then we did it and steve asked me you know can you do you want to help a lot he, you know, he has this lawyer he says you know he's busy with this so he said do you want to help me with this and i said sure i thought maybe i could get back up to you know net worth zero or something like that but three years later we were going public on the london stock exchange and we achieved a market cap of around two billion dollars which is huge i own 27 percent of that i own 27 percent of two billion dollars
0: that's a big number
1: yeah, it is. It's, it's, that's a big, uh, that's a big hairball to cough up. Yeah. And, um, so I
0: just want to make sure I'm getting it clear. So basically y'all were the, the bank, like the house in a way. We, yeah.
1: Well, we were like, we were like PayPal.
0: Okay. For gambling.
1: He, we, we were like the bag man. Remember, remember the bag man, the guy yeah. who runs back and forth with the little paper bag, right?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. The house actually makes money, right? Gambling. But the the, the book the, the bookies, uh, you know, the, the, the bag men only get what they get paid for carrying the bag around. That's what, that's what we did, and it was huge. We went to school on PayPal, and we became very much like PayPal, but for online gambling. Eventually, PayPal joined in and competed with us. And then they asked us if we wanted to join with them. <laughs> and we thought we'd probably be losing some control, and we decided, you know, we'd better learn to get along without PayPal. And, and did but we did very well when uh ebay uh decided to buy paypal and then go public then ebay had to say to paypal uh no more gambling and they said okay well we'll only do it for six more months <laughs> we'll only do it until we need glasses but it was huge it was huge and there were you know when in in 2007 we were arrested for uh, huge charges, but the um, we were arrested halfway through our fiscal year, uh, and uh, we were tracking that year to transfer fourteen billion dollars.
0: And they came in because they of the issue with gambling in the U.S.
1: Yeah, because we were we were we were helping Americans um, uh, gamble offshore. Yeah, one guy actually stood up in Congress and said, if we let these guys go on like this, they're going to be getting up in the morning and gambling from home in their house coats. And so that was what the that, that, that was what the mischief was gambling at home in your house coat, not gambling, but yeah. not coming into our hotels.
0: The idea that somebody else is getting rich and not them.
1: Yeah, I, I think they, they don't they, have uh, a
0: pet of it. That's right like i
1: said like i said to you before um you know I've, I've never been arrested for something that isn't legal now they all joined in i think we taught america some really good tax policy
0: it's know, a right? it's a legalized laundering in a way i suppose
1: that's one of the things they charge us with laundering we were signed up with Fintrack and all of those international uh monitoring systems uh we were a public company right They really wanted to find us laundering money. But, you know, we had algorithms already that uh, uh, alerted us if anybody was trying to use our system to amalgamate funds. One of the things people do to launder money is called smurfing. So if I have a million bucks I want to launder, you can only take $10,000 cash uh, into the bank, right? So what guys will do is have 150 people who um, each taken, you know, $7,462. It's kind of a, a disbursement and then reamalgamation of the money. And if they, if we'd watch to see if that was going on. We actually got a plaque from the uh, Department of Treasury Secret Service for assisting them with two prosecutions. We alerted them that there was money laundering going on. And they, uh, you know, and then so anyways.
0: Did they seize your assets? Where did all the money go?
1: The, the, all of the money that was in the company was uh, as effectively seized by the, U, the U.S. Department of Justice. There was, And there was quite a bit of it. And then eventually they released the money, too, because, you know, I think what, what they found out was there's, you know, three or four million people in the United States who were, uh, in all other ways, you know, voters, <laughs> honest citizens, that kind of thing. And it, w- it would not serve them well. It's, they decided to just, you know, focus on, you know, the, uh, the culprits. Whereas the, uh, the gamblers themselves, they wanted to let them have a pass. But.
0: It's sort of so like do you arrest a sex worker, but let the john go free.
1: Exactly like that. Good for you.
0: What was your final accusation that put you in prison then?
1: Uh, you mean the, the final offense that I pled guilty to? Yeah, they, they they threatened to charge at me with three different offenses. One of them was con- conspiracy. One of them was... Uh, uh, racketeering, and one of them was conspiracy to money launder. I eventually pled guilty to assisting, aiding aiding, and abetting uh, illegal gambling.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, and so that was a five-year offense. The other, the three offenses, uh, you know, conspiracy, money laundering, and racketeering, were all maximum 20-year offenses, so they were threatening 60 years of offenses, and we got them down to five, and then uh, that we, you know, had the plea bargain process, and at the end of the plea bargain process, I, uh, um, I forfeited forty million dollars, my partner sixty million, and the company one hundred and forty million. So between the three of us, we forfeited a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, I got forty-five days in prison. <laughs> by by far the worst of it was that I was out on bail for about five years, and um, Uncle Sam was thirsty for my urine. I had, to, I, had to, I had to provide him with urine weekly at first and then monthly, and for, so- On I, probation, I did, you mean? Yeah, on, oh, out on bail. Okay. I, so I was, I was arrested and then I was you know, like to cooperate for a while to help them understand the industry, to help them so they could like prosecute it and make a whole bunch more forfeitures. Uh, but they didn't find what they were looking for. There was no money laundering going on. It was all just perfectly up and up transactions. They, they they did they did and after about five years we worked out a plea bargain and finished it up with the the, the plea bargain and, and I wound up doing forty five days forty five days in prison.
0: How was that experience? It was
1: wonderful. I mean, it was shitty, but it was I'm I'm you know I was in Manhattan. I was in the same prison that Epstein died in. I was in the same prison that they're keeping El Chapo in. I met uh, my uh, my bunkie was bled. You know he wouldn't tell me that. I asked my bunkie if there was gangsters in there and he said nah nah they send all the gangsters somewhere else he said and then i was out playing chess with this other guy grady grady was a very distinguished guy uh and he was a black guy too everybody was black there was only about you know 96 guys on our wing and there was only you know uh, about eight people that weren't black or brown anyways i was playing chess with Grady, and he was really good really good chess player and uh, i said yeah so grady yeah sam my bunkie sam tells me that uh there's no you know ganger, gang gangsters in here and grady goes you're a bunkie and I go, yeah he says he blood. so when when you're coming into prison um they ask you if you have any seps and i go seps what's a sep and the guy says well if you had any you'd know I said, well, no, tell me anyways, what's a SEP? And he said, it's short for separations. And what, what it means is, are there any people that you, you know, can't be in here with, you know? So you can't go in and say, Are you a gangster? Right? But they still have to separate because if you answer that, that's that's if you answer that question, that's like saying, Yes, I'm guilty of racketeering, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because you know, the that's what racketeering is about, organized crime. And so they can't say that, but they still have to separate these people out to limit the violence to keep the jails kind of right. So they ask you if you've got any seps, and you go, I can't be in with no cribs <laughs> or I can't be in with gaudies. I can only be in with Chienkhanas. <laughs> that kind right. of thing.
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And so, um, how
0: old were you when you went into prison for the 40 like
1: 56 minutes? or 57 or something like that? Or 58. Yeah. I was, uh, you know i was an old man i was i was not attractive to too many people <laughs> so it was were well, you concerned
0: about that at all
1: a little bit i didn't you know but that was just an ego trip i thought think to when you're 56 and think you're in danger of, of that you know you you, you got to think quite a bit of yourself
0: well I, I would argue that rape is about control not sex
1: sure well absolutely yeah, yeah but it it wasn't the sex I was afraid of it was the rape
0: (laughs) no no I know but I'm just saying you said it was ego trip that they wouldn't be interested in a 56 year old and I'm thinking well if they felt they needed to control you somehow perhaps
1: do you know Christopher Hitchens yes he used to hang out with a guy named Martin Amos who were you know they they, they wrote together as kids and and they asked him if they were homosexual lovers Hitchens answer was by the time I met Martin I was you know 25 years old i was so old nobody wanted to fuck me but women
0: that's a great answer
1: the wonderful thing about it was learning that uh there is no difference between any of those people and us you know we think we think we're different but we're not we're We're all the same and circumstance
0: makes something happen yeah choices
1: most most and most of the uh most, most of the people who do get caught in the trap you know white guys walk and black guys don't you know and I was in there with guys that were doing ten years, and twenty years, and forty years. I met a guy. I met a guy who was doing forty years for selling pot in Texas.
0: Yeah, yeah. You people of color just, do not do well in the judicial system. They are absolutely it's an unbalanced system for them.
1: They're entitled to respect, and they know they are, and so they demand it. Mm-hmm. And the the way to be safe in prison is to res- to give the people the respect they're entitled to. And let them know that you expect it to. And if you do that, then they treat you like, you know, a man. And and it works. And, there's, you know, there's some people you need to be cautious with. And there are other people in there that will help you with them. Because those guys have stepped out of line before. And, you know, there's, there's the protection system going on. And it's not a, you know, it's a protection system that's based in goodwill. And, and you know, in uh, not, not in, like, uh you know paying duties or bounties or anything like that you know if you if if you're a respectful guy you get you get help from respectful guys and everything goes well so and you know susan i was only in there for 45 days i I did time when i was a kid too i was busted when i was 17 for you know selling lsd and pot to cops that were dressed up like hippies and i knew anybody who thinks they're different or better, doesn't do very well. Everybody's got all the same stories to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, the the basic mantra is, do your own time. And when you start expecting people to listen to your whining, you you might get your tray shoved off the table. (laughs) So, you know, I'm still in touch with uh, a couple of people that I met there, both of them are still succeeding. You know, both of them are still kind of, you know, not in the revolving door anymore so far.
0: <laughs> great. That's great. You went in a wealthy man and came out a poor man or did you still have your no, no. wealth?
1: The first day I went in when I was arrested on Malibu Beach, um, I was uh, super wealthy. You know, I mean, I had theoretically I had, you know, uh, half a billion, half a, half a billion dollars. Right. But and actually, I had somewhere around, you know, $350 million or something like that in terms of money that I'd actually pulled off the table and, you know, money that wasn't just a stocks, equities you know, on the stock market. That the night we were arrested, they went from six pounds to 60 pence. So that's about, you know, 90%. That Ooh. was one hell of a night, <laughs> that first night in prison in Los Angeles. Wow. That was. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I felt, I was feeling pretty confined. I had a jet, you know, and I would get up in the morning and phone my pilot and say, can we go to Ireland? And he said, I'll file a, you know, I'll file the plan. Do you want to go tonight? I said, yeah, I'd like to live arrive there in the morning. And that, that's what life was like for me. And then and then, all of a sudden I'm in this, you know, little cell where, you know, you're expected to roll over on this side when the other guy goes to the toilet. It's, it's different.
0: Yeah, that is different absolutely
1: there is a big difference between prison in los angeles and prison in new york uh prison yeah the prison in los angeles is racist in a very uh amongst the prisoners you know all the white guys sit at the white table and all the brown guys sit at the brown table and all the black guys sit at the black table i went over to the black table one day with my tray i said join you guys for breakfast this guy goes it's free country like that, And then I, and I, you know, and I sat down and they all kind of went like this. You know, and I, when I talked to the guys later, they, they said, I said, did I give it a faux pas or something? They said, yeah, yeah. You're lucky you didn't get your, your, you know, your tray shoved in your face and which was really upsetting. But in New York, it wasn't like that at all. In New York, everybody was just whoever you were. You were a good guy or you were an asshole and that, and the measure was uh, more sophisticated in New York. (laughs) They aren't all the same, but I was glad I had both experiences because it was, where I live up here, we don't see the the dirty side of racism very much unless we have First Nations friends. We were so privileged, didn't have to deal with that in our society like you guys do more in yours. Now we found out that actually we're wrong. We've just ignored, you know, all of the um, murdered First Nations school children in the residential schools and, you know, all of them. Yeah. all the rest of that stuff so no we've got some growing up to do on that square
0: yeah. yeah unfortunately humans will find interesting ways to be terrible to each other and find ways to other you know. other somebody yeah it's, it's a yeah. very popular yeah, pastime for a human being
1: yeah well we make ourselves better when we do that right
0: right in theory and,
1: and the, the news is there there are better ways to actually make ourselves better. That's a failure. You know, that's a that, that's a loser's way to feel better. It's okay. like, make, you know, you make yourself feel better when you're the guy who throw, punches the other one in the face.
0: Until we as humans figure out how to touch our own pain, we will inflict pain on others. It's the only, it's the only seemingly, it's irresponsible, but it's only seeming choice that people make it's it's a sh- it's a real shame it's sad and i hope i don't think it's gonna happen in my lifetime but i hope that we figure out a way to go inward first and look at that pain before lashing out i hope someday that happens i i don't know that how many generations from now it will take
1: don't you think that some people do that now yes yeah, and I think to, to me... The, the, they
0: do it now. I'm talking about it as a whole, though. you know.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think we can really um, let our sense of um, uh, self-happiness um, uh, depend on the whole being perfect.
0: Sure, I, I get that too. <laughs> I say that... I, I just had that conversation yesterday, and when somebody was talking about how everything's going tits up, and I said, you know, there's actually way more good in the world. There is way more, way more good. It's just not interesting to newspapers or sensationalists or people who get the dopamine now from hating something instead of loving something. Yeah, I hope it writes itself. I do, but I'm. To, I was talking unilaterally. What the feeling sure. of, of Eventually, maybe we'll figure it. Collectively. I think we
1: will. I I feel very optimistic, actually. You You know, it's a weird kind of optimism. I think, for instance, you know, I I think about, you know, 20 billion more people are going to die and then things will be better. (laughs) But what I mean by that is around my granddaughter's generation, when my granddaughter's my age, that's Mm -hmm. what I mean. And because we're we're, we're showing them how, how not to be, right? Yeah. What I hope to do is add to the conversation uh, some uh, principles uh, that uh, would serve people who want to move there. What, what my book is about is, you know, if we are going to uh, advance civilization, there are some principles that we need to adopt.
0: Do you, do you think that generational pain can be a sweater one can take off? Do you think, or do you think it's just so ingrained in some people?
1: Well, no, we we learn from things, you know. Alcoholics will have two kids, and one will learn to drink, and the other one will learn to be sober, right? Mm-hmm. And I, what I, what I how I see the world is like the third kid, who knows how to enjoy a drink and still be sober, right? <laughs> right, and that and and that's what we'll learn, you know. But we're ver- we're very near now, you know. The, the 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 freedoms that we enjoy in the Western world. We're super privileged here compared to everybody else in the world and I you know it's difficult for me to talk about privilege because you know obviously I'm you know stinking privileged and you know so yeah back back to that question that you asked when I came out of prison I've, i' I was never I'll, I'll never be poor again but i I won't have hundreds of millions of dollars but you know I, I, neither will I have to work again. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm super fortunate those things that we take for granted in our society they're quite basic you know there's a reasonable access to food clothing and shelter uh security and integrity of the person these are things that we take for granted in our society a reasonable access to the tools of self-improvement education re- reasonable access to health health care
0: if you uh, have money and if you're not A person of color, though. I mean, one in 10 children in America are starving. There are kids that can't afford to get education. There are kids that are in generational poverty that can't. I mean, it's an economics problem, right?
1: Yeah, I know. And I I know when I'm saying these things, I'm speaking from a point of privilege, and I understand that. But 70% of us in America are privileged compared to everybody else in the world. And we have all of these things you know as well as reasonable access to uh, education and health there's also reasonable access to basic finance and to justice right we can we know where to turn when somebody's you know screwing with us and we've and the help is there for us more or less finally uh, re- reasonable access to um, a healthy environment and we, we take all of these things for granted And in my thesis you know what we should We should take them for granted, but it raises a very interesting implication, and that is what's the difference between us and, you know, the starving lady in Somalia with the baby dying at her dusty breast? Well, and try as I might to try to distinguish, okay, why should we be entitled to these? If we're entitled to these, what's the difference that they're not entitled? And there is no good answer to that. The answer is that all of those things that we take for granted, I think, are entitlements. And I mean, they're, we're entitled to them as basic rights. So when I talk about equality, I'm not talking about equality of income or equality of power or equality. You know, what I'm talking about is equality of basic rights. That's all. And it's our duty in our society of free people to do everything we can to assure that those are less those who are less fortunate in the freedom department are on a track to getting that fixed. I mm. think that's i think that's the price of freedom is the duty to do that everybody has a duty to help those who are less free and everybody who is free has a duty to help those who are less free and everybody is entitled to help from those who are more free those of us who accept the benefits of freedom are happy with what has fallen in our laps for freedom but could not care less about others who are less fortunate in the freedom department, haven't earned their freedom. They haven't paid the cost of their freedom. All they've done is taken liberties. Mm. So what we have to do in our society is first of all, understand that the wealthy among us have to pay to make sure everybody has the same basic rights. You talk about the people, the black kids who don't get help. You know what? That's a sin. Right? And I'm not talking this Catholic. I'm talking about Jesus. It's a sin. (laughs) You know, it's like wrong. You hurt people when you don't, we hurt people if we don't provide them. What is our duty to provide them? Right? Here's where it gets difficult. There's no difference between that black kid down in the neighborhood and the black kid out in Somalia. Them too. But when when we try to assert that everybody over there has those rights too, you've got some jurisdiction problems, right? You've got, uh, the, yeah. <laughs> right? You've got sovereignty. Well, sovereignty. We can't. Well, we got no jurisdiction over there. <clears throat> One of the examples I like to use is um, female genital mutilation, right? Mm. We know it's wrong. There's something about borders that means it's not our problem, right? You know, it's not our responsibility, right? Wrong. We have to figure out how to do that. We have to figure out how to do that. People all over the world who have less freedom than we have, we owe a duty to, and we have to figure out a way to do it. You know how parents, when they have kids, they have a duty to raise their kids well. And not knowing how you're going to do that does not excuse us of our duty. We have to find out how to do it, right? We have to find out how to go to Ethiopia and protect those young women. When those young women turn to us, we have to be able to tell them who in their community to turn to. We have to tell them that, no, you don't have to go through that to have integrity as a human being. When they come to us, we have to let them in Mm. to our society, or we have to go into their society and put our foot down. We're learning now with all these things that are going on in our world, we're learning that we actually do have influence. More than that, we have ways of forcing We could say jurisdictions that permit female genital mutilation to go on either actually or even just tacitly, right, may not use our banking system. Right. Sorry, Ethiopia, you can't bank here until you do something about that. And when you do something about that, then you'll be able to bank here. So these sovereign borders aren't as difficult to cross as we used to think they are. We're going hard on Vladimir Putin. I was and just going
0: to say, Russia being a prime example of what we're capable of doing.
1: He's teaching yeah. us our future. Yeah. One of the ways is how to stop guys like him. Right. The other is that we have a duty to stop him. It's not maybe. It's not like see if we can find some place where we can kind of like get along, because we're paying the price of that now. We did that with. Georgia, we did it with Chechnya. We did it with you know uh, uh, Crimea. Right? You can't be like that in our society. Here's the big. Here's the main picture with all these universal rights. Here's the main picture. Everything that's three things that are going on in our world right now are teaching us a, a lesson. We're at the dawn of a new epoch, and what that epoch is is not lip service anymore. The fundamental, concrete realization. That Earth is one community. And please, give Earth a capital E. There's nothing that bugs me more than saying the Earth with a little E. You know, like it's it's dismissing it, right? No. Earth is our greatest, greatest asset. And if we're conservatives, if we're good conservatives, we conserve our asset. Right? We nurture our asset. We make our assets grow. Well, Earth is one that we have to do. But it's not the most important one. It's just the biggest one. The most important asset is the human resources. If we took all of the people in the world and developed them in terms of education um, and, you know, technology and all the other ways that we are, we would have at least five times more geniuses in the world. There is no worse squandering of capital on our planet than people in the rest of the world being underdeveloped, right? And we owe it to them to do that. We have a big job ahead of us and a big, big long road to go. Contagion, um, of course, this constitutional problem about not trusting government, government being trustworthy. And and the third one, you know, of course, is climate. The three Cs, I call them the emergent Cs. And those three things are, are going to prove to us that Earth is one community. One community. And we, and when we develop it, we'll turn it into an Eden. And when we do, we'll deserve it because it will be a, us who has attended to it. It will be us who has earned it. It'll mm-hmm. be us who's built it. I think that's what we're going to do. We have no choice, but there's no, f- we have no future that has Vladimir Putin's in it. And I hate to say it out loud, but Xi Jinping is the same. You, can you hear me, G? I'm 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 coming for you. <laughs> but and and I think when we look at the, for things from that size, size you know, to, to me as overwhelmingly depressing as it is now to wake up in the morning with a guy like Putin running wild, the result of it is going to be there will. be We won't permit that anymore. We'll realize that we have to actually contain guys like him, and we have a responsibility. It's not whether we want to or not. It's not whether we'd like to. It's not whether we should. It's a duty, a duty to all their victims. Mm -hmm. And until we fulfill that duty, we can't really say we've earned our freedom. We're just taking advantage of our freedom. Right? We're exploiting all Putin.
0: over the world where people like Putin exist and are doing bad things. and
1: we need to take them all down.
0: We need to take them all down. And it's no matter whether they they happen to have bases and convenient places.
1: Yeah. you know if, if, a, if a bunch of militiamen came and, and kidnapped 400 adolescent women from a junior high school here, and took them off and started using them for, you know, uh, sex machines for their army. We go right now. We don't go, you don't even go to court. You just go stop them. Right. Right. And that's what we have to do. We have to, I, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking now to, you know, my granddaughter's generation. We yeah. have to understand that this is a responsibility the whole world over. And it's not something that we should turn our backs on. You know, when when we think of war, we think, oh, no, no, no more war, no more war. But the problem is when it happens at home, we don't think of it as war. At home, they're rapists and we got to stop them. Right? But don't forget, in this war, there is one guy who's a rapist and a whole other team that's not. And, you know, you can't diss the people who are going there to respond to the war that started right? Indeed, we should be encouraging them to stop it. That's not going to war. That's being a cop. That's being responsible, right? That's being dutiful. That's not an ugly thing. That's a, well, it is an ugly thing, but it's a duty. We can't laugh about it. That makes me sick. You know, when people in your country laughed and cheered when Osama bin Laden was killed, I was disgusted. It he is, needed to be stopped.
0: Uh, he did need to stop it. It's sort of that thing where I remember watching uh, the footage for Ted Bundy because I was interviewing someone and I needed to, to watch it. And the when Ted Bundy was executed, the people outside you know, chanting, you know, burn him, you know, fry him, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, wow, it's a mass murderer person, but you're chanting for his death. You, you're not being any better you're just mirroring his pain and anger and violence we we tend to put ourselves in a oh i have this i'm noble in my murderous rage <laughs> you know
1: one of the things that i learned from being a rich guy is what we have in store, all of us, when we go out and when we we adopt these principles that I think we need, if we're going to advance civilization, when we adopt those, there's a joy that awaits us that we don't even know yet, and that is the dividends that come from generosity. Even if something's a duty, that doesn't make it not generous, (laughs) right? We have a duty to develop these people, to give them all of the tools that they need to make the best of themselves. And when we make them the best of themselves, the world is going to be a better place. The dividends of generosity are gratitude. And when people are grateful, they don't bust your balls. You don't need armies anymore. You still need cops. We need a huge force of police because there's a lot of guys out there we need to go after. You know, there's a lot of guys we have to go after because we have a duty to their victims.
0: I think one of the biggest things that we can do is stop violence against women. And once that violence against women is stopped and all the various ways that it's perpetrated, there will be a shift. And when women realize that we are powerful, how powerful we are and what we can stand up for and against.
1: Absolutely. I hate this is going to sound weird to people, but the unrecognized horror in our society, there's so many ways in which women have been oppressed and that. Mm-hmm. I just finished this wonderful trip. It was um, there's a book called uh, The Immortality Key, and it's about uh, the, the history of mysticism. The guy's a, uh, a classicist. Uh, he, he studied all the different classic uh, libraries in the world, and what he discovered was that now, now they use this. There's this chemistry that they use to look at these little clay pots and find out what he was finding was that even ten thousand years ago, people were using ergot fungus. Mm-hmm. and alcohol in a mixture and it was a secret that the women held and the women held, held this secret and the reason they held it is because they were also holding the wisdom of the most important things. His, his finding was that in along this trail of history where people were you know taking grains with a little bit of poison in them and alcohol mixing them together and then they're opening their minds to these amazing comprehensions right? It was all in the hands of women. In so many societies, historically, the women were in charge of the most important choices. Why? Because they have a, ne- a natural tendency towards understanding and compassion and helping and, you know, all of those things that somehow has been lost on so many of us. I think there's, you know, that that is exists in us all, but in our society particularly, we, we, we think it unmanly. If you're not talking about, uh, you know, sports, uh, money, and, you know. Right.
0: They suppress <laughs> the divine feminine within them because it terrifies yeah. them. right. So, because that is holy W, holy the creator energy.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, uh, we're jealous of you guys because we can never create what you create.
0: I have it written down here, all is well, where thou art, earth, and why. And yes. good with money: A rich guy's guide to gaining everything by losing it all. Those are your books. And your are you writing a new one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you said something a minute ago, I wasn't sure if you if you were speaking future tense or, or past tense as far as climate. So.
1: Oh no, no, no! I'm uh, I'm deeply involved with climate. Do you got mm-hmm. you guys don't know David Suzuki? Do you? David Suzuki. He's He's a a,
0: climatologist person in Canada. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. He's a he's a microbiologist who's devoted his life to um, environmental concerns in Canada. He hangs, you know. He knows all 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 the all the big shots in America know him, you know. But but uh, and he he's known all over the world actually. But America somehow has missed the story. But anyways, I I do a lot of work with David. He's he's accepted me into his kind of inner circle and he likes me because I, I i encourage him to be radical and uh and uh, all the people on the foundation going, oh no no you don't want to piss anybody off i said yes you do <laughs> you want to <laughs> there's a few and yeah. david likes it so he keeps me around all's well where there were are where, where there are at earth and why is a book that is kind of a um it, it's it's very rangy you know and it goes somewhere between like lyric prose to very strict kind of legalese and 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 everywhere in between it goes out to outer space and all the way back down to earth in in the most muddy ways it's a bit elusive in ways what the whole point of it is but all of these principles that i've been speaking to you about are in it but i wrote it sort of as a work of poetry you know it's like a work of literature it's like a a work of literature that has um
0: it's your walden
1: (laughs) uh?
0: i said it's your walden
1: yeah, yeah, it's my, my my Walden and the Walden is the Walden pond is the universe. Yeah, that's right. I calculate that there are 30 trillion species like us in the universe and the odds of us being the most advanced of them are like zero. And and what that means is there are some species like us out there that have a million years more learning than we have. So think about how much learning we've had done in the last hundred years since my mom was born. You know, uh, you know, when my mom was born, people hardly even knew what germs were.
0: Well, at this point, every 10 years, even, I think the advancement. Well, yeah, even
1: we'll learn in in the next 10 years as much as we have in the last hundred.
0: Yeah. Right. But imagine
1: what we'll learn in the next hundred. Imagine what those people, somebody else has learned in a thousand years. Mm -hmm. Imagine what they've learned in a million years, Susan. That's what we don't know. That's how vast our lack of knowledge is right now. One of the funny things ab- about us is that we imagine that the proof that there's nobody else out there is because they haven't come to see us. As if, as if anybody who'd have the capacity to come to see us but wouldn't, you know, bother.
0: Or, <laughs> why, or, have have at some point seen us and thought, you know, we've got not, to yeah, clear that that planet maybe
1: (laughs) yeah exactly we can wait we have to that's what my book is about we have to come to a couple of basic things uh, before they will be permitted into that community that's the whole thesis of the book Mm -hmm. and that is you know all of the things that we ever need to know are already known by somebody all we need to know is get in touch with them and prove to them that we cherish the natural beauty that has befallen us as much as it deserves and that we cherish ourselves every one of us as much as we cherish ourselves why would they introduce us to the capability to to decimate other you know natural bounties like this in the universe why would they introduce us to other species that we could treat as badly as we treat members of our own you know we've got some growing up to do so if we were wise, we would be humble, but we seem to be neither.
0: Yeah, we'll get there, I think. John, tell people how they might find you.
1: I thought of a way to answer this question I thought was pretty funny. Go out, sit quietly, close your eyes, and treat all of those random thoughts that come into your mind, for what they are. They're visitors that didn't phone first and came knocking. The clients that don't have an appointment. Practice skilled management of attention and make sure that those things, there's none none of them that can't wait 30 minutes. No, there's none of them that can't wait 10 minutes. Almost all of them can wait a year. And yet, as soon as they come into our mind, we just like to that we're governed by them. We're completely Mm -hmm. swept away by them. Sit quietly. That part of us that dreams at night, infinitely imaginative, creative, poetic, astonish, miraculous sleep, right? That part of us does not go to sleep when we wake up. In the daytime, let that part be for a moment. Be still, yet still be. And you'll see a really, really amazing miraculous infinitely astonishing consciousness and that's me and it's you there there you'll find I love, me i love that there you'll find me
0: and also but i know 100%. that's not what you're asking about
1: <laughs> <laughs> his ass just
0: not- dickton <laughs>
1: um John spell my name right on your site and people will be able to find me all of the music i've ever recorded is there as well i played with some of the great greatest studio guys in the world came and to help me do my songs that's that that's for another meeting on facebook you know people sometimes operate what they call a page mm-hmm. i have a page that's called thoughtful species and it comes it's one of the lines from All's Well. I, I, one of the calculations i told you about is that i calculate that there are about 10 trillion um Thoughtful species in the universe. Mm. Well, we're one of them. Thoughtful species is a page on um, on uh, Facebook, and it's you know I I kind of relate these concepts I have to um, you know current events and that sort of thing on there. I think there's maybe twenty thousand people have uh, taken the time to say like that the page.
0: So. Sure, I'll link I'll link to that stuff on my heyhumanpodcast.com as well. well John, but, uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: You've been very generous. I look forward to listening to the rest of your music. And thanks so much for having me. It was a great pleasure to be here. Very nice to get to know you. Thanks.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.
1: Thanks for making the time. I really appreciate it. See okay. you later. Bye for now. Bye.
0: Bye. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.